and welcome to Manufacturing the Future. I'm Jim Anderton, Multimedia Content Director here at Engineering.com. Today I'm speaking with Alexander Zoller, a third-generation manufacturing manager of the family-owned global company, Zoller Incorporated. He's been managing director of the Pleidelsheim, Germany-based firm since 2004, and he was responsible for the company's expansion in North America, including a new Ann Arbor, Michigan-based Industry 4.0 tech center. Alexander, thanks for joining us on the program, and tell us a little bit about Zoller. Yeah, we are a family-owned company. Um, the company is celebrating this year on uh, 75 anniversaries. Yeah, the company was founded by my grandfather uh, as a mechanical workshop, and later on, they, uh, he had the idea of tool presetters. And uh, since the year of 1968, my father has joined, and uh, since then, yeah, tool presetters um, is our yeah, bread and butter product. Uh, we support uh, companies all around the world uh, within manufacturing. We help manufacture more parts in a shorter amount of time with higher quality. We are, all the products are developed and manufactured in Germany and yeah, we have 80% export market share. So we are all around uh, the globe in, in the most important uh, countries. Alexander, for the benefit of our manufacturing engineering audience who are not familiar with presetting or advanced machining, what is tool presetting? Tool presetting is basically setup reduction. So if you have a CNC machine, you can compare it like an, an airplane. If an airplane sits uh, on the ground um, at the airport, it's not making money. So an airplane needs to be up in the air, then an airline is making money. And the same thing is valid for the manufacturing industry. If you have a CNC machine that is not making parts, not making chips, it's not productive. And what we do is basically with tool measuring or tool presetting, we are setting offline and measuring offline those tools so that uh, you don't have to touch off uh, inside the machine. Uh, you just transfer the offset information through the network, for example, and then you can start machining your parts so you don't lose production time. So we basically make sure that the right tool is at the right time with the correct measurements at the right machine. So we basically support companies that their spindles can turn and not sitting idle. Everything today, um, everyone is talking about industry 4.0. Everyone's talking about the industrial internet of things, instrumentation. We're reaching a point now where we started by instrumenting entire assembly lines, now we instrument individual machines, and now we're talking about instrumenting the individual components, even the cutting tools inside the machines. Is, is, is this a trend you think that will expand? Will we reach a point in which every, every, every screw, every bolt will have instrumentation embedded? Yes, absolutely. It moves definitely into this direction. And this is uh, really the name of the game today. I mean, um, yeah, companies have to have to be more effective and you have to know what you have on hand, what is your tool life on the, on the cutting tools, on your components, and you have to track it. Only if you are capable of tracking it, you can optimize. You can, yeah, you can get more out of the components. And, uh, Yes, this is absolutely the trend uh, where the industry is moving and yeah, whoever is not following is falling off, I would say. <laughs> Alexander, in, in a production machining environment, uh, um, in my experience many years ago when I began, uh, it was based heavily on operator experience. Uh, on a production machine tool, a very good operator had, had a feel for the machine. They could feel the, the vibration or the sound and they could be predictive themselves and they could tell a lead hand and say, uh, we have an hour, perhaps two, to be ready for the, for the tool change at this point. So it was very ad hoc. It was just based on sort of the, the, the gut feel. Is, is, can that now be automated? Is it possible to actually take that intuition and then make it like an algorithm to do this? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully it's out of the human uh, human uh, inter- interaction. Yes, I mean, this is definitely where, it's, where it moves to be or where it needs to be today. And, and here a lot of technology is available. Yeah? I mean, starting from cam to the finished part and to having the entire process under control. This is the name of the game today. And um, I mean, all the operator intervention need to be out of it. I mean, this needs to come from software, from algorithms, from yeah, predict- prediction. And um Yeah, and this is this is where where yeah the industry is moving moving today, being less dependent on the on the operator. Definitely, I mean, if you want to produce good quality parts, yeah, you you better have a process under control that is automated. In times past, Alexander, there was uh, sometimes a criticism of a lack of standardization in manufacturing. So it was quite common for one works to be very closely associated with a single supplier out of a need to standardize within. So an ABB house would be an ABB house and a Siemens house would be a Siemens house. And there's a great deal of fear of mixing and matching different equipment to different systems in the same works. Do you feel, is this still a concern in manufacturing, do you feel? It is still a concern, but I mean, there are standards out there. There is uh, for cutting tools definition, for example, the ISO standard or the DIN uh, standard out where uh, companies can uh, describe the tool definitions accordingly. And this is really very, very important because I mean, you, you, we have to standardize. If you want to optimize, you need to be, st- you need to standardize and you need to somehow also independent of, of a software or of a solution. Because if everything is just uh, not standardized, then it's just, uh, yeah, running around uh, with a chicken with a head cut i mean it's it's just a yeah basically basically very challenging so those standardizations especially of of the cutting tools is very important also in order to automate processes for example and uh yeah we see a, a big trend there but uh not everybody is following unfortunately uh, but it uh with a little bit more time i think uh, it will come and move in that direction as well Alexander, on the consumable side, uh, cutting tools, for example, uh, there was a time when there were perhaps a couple of hundred different types and there were basic geometric shapes. And the same basic types of cutting tools were used for multiple applications. And we're reaching a world now where not only are cutting tools optimized for a specific material, sometimes they're optimized for a specific type of machining. Uh, I've heard of, for example, Sandvik introduced a line for machining wind turbine components aimed at a specific industry, as an example. Is, is this proliferation, this increase in the number of different subcategories and small subtypes of cutting tools, is this going to make it more complex? Well, it makes it complex if you if you don't categorize your tools, if you don't categorize the application, and there is a software available where you can do that. I mean, this is very important uh, to use those categorization, to use the standardization also in the cutting tools, in order to yeah to be uh, yeah to have the process, let's say, under control. This is uh, where where really the standardization comes into play. Yes. You mentioned presetting the the concept of preparing offline of basically maximizing machine uptime by doing much as preparatory work away from, from, from the production machine. Uh, modern CNC machine tools, uh, they seem to be characterized by massive cassettes, a huge capability to store a large amount of, of, of tooling inside. Is this a trend that's going to continue? I see many works where the cassette is very large. And in fact, it's too large for the number of tools that are necessary for, for the production operation. 
Yeah, this also comes into play uh, today with the industry, yeah, IoT. Um, it's important that the, the machine will will tell you what tools are, yeah, what, when the tool life comes to an end, when the tool life comes into a warning limit and when tools need to be changed. And here there is technology available also from us, from Zolo, we have this technology where we can basically calculate the tool changes uh, based of the, of the number of tools that are inside the machine. And the number of cassettes, yes, I mean, there are yeah, more and more um, yeah, cassettes available, but in our opinion, it should not be. I mean, it should move down and it can only move down if we have, for example, from our system, we have an online connection. We know exactly what's going on inside the machine. And then we can predict the tool changes. We can calculate, okay, if one job is on the machine, what is now based off the next job that is going to the machine? What tools are already available at the machine? What is the tool life? And then we only change a minimum number of tools at the machine. And with that, we can reduce the number of cassettes inside the machine because it cannot be the goal to always add on, add on, add on, add on. This is a, yeah, there is a, there is a high tooling cost. I mean, the tooling is expensive. This is cash flow. And then you have cash flow in a carousel inside your machine tool. And this cannot be the solution to the, to the challenge we have on hand. We have to reduce costs, especially today in those challenging times. You cannot move around the cash flow in your carousel. And that's why it's so important to standardize, to use the software and to minimize then uh, this, this cost and have also transparency about where is my tooling? Where is it located? Yeah? Do I have enough tools or do I have also tools sitting around that are not even used? Yeah? This comes also in addition. You have a, yeah, a huge magazine and you have possibly tools that you are not using, but in inventory, your inventory management is automatically procuring those tools in addition. And then, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not cost effective. You anticipated my next question. I've seen this myself. Uh, as, as the cassettes become larger, uh, tool holders are relatively inexpensive. It's possible to have a huge percentage of the cutting tool inventory trapped inside the machine. But in many works, they inventory cutting tools externally, but not in process or not actually in use. So if it's possible, and I've seen some in which a couple of holders are inside the cassette and are never used. They're used for a legacy and obsolete operation. They're almost forgotten. But they're, they're, as you say, they're still procured as if they're an online item. So is, it, is, is there a single unified algorithm or software that takes care of all of it? Or is it necessary to piece this together with a separate inventory management for cutting tools, separate for, for work in process? Is there one solution that does all of it? Yeah, Zolo has that solution. We have one solution for everything. Uh, we have basically the entire process under control from uh, the CAM system, from where it starts to program the part. Until, and then until the part is, is basically finished and we can calculate in between also what is running on the machine, what tools you need, what tools you don't need. And then we have also the inventory control. So there is one database for everything. This is uh, the process what we have under control. And, but it is correct. I mean, um, the number of tools we see increasing per part. Yeah, I mean, in, in the past years, it was maybe 10, 15, 20 tools, but we need, we see the number of tools are increasing per, um, per, per part. And, um, from that perspective, the solution is not to add more, um, more magazine places to the machine. The solution is really to know what is running on my machine and to get them exchanged accordingly. And today, I mean, the, the machines, they are all network capable. We, you can have access to the machine. You can see what is running, what is not running. And, um, 
And then also, for example, what is very important, what is the reason why a tool change will happen? And then you can also identify your tool performance basically inside a machine. So this is a really a very, very good topic where, where you need to have a very good handle on and we can provide all the software. We, we have all that software available. Um, not, not only um, the, the tool preset on measuring machines, we have basically the entire software available that you can really have the, the correct tool at the, at the right time at the right machine. Alexander, the amount of information that uh, a production manager, jury manager, has to has to cope with these days is growing exponentially. It seems because it's you're, we're talking about about tool tooling specifically inside the machine, but the machine parameters themselves are being monitored as well, and and that data is being aggregated. And the cost of aggregating that data seems to be dropping to the point where we can have hundreds or thousands of data points coming from, from a single operation. Are we reaching a point of information overload? Is there a point at which there's too much data for the engineer to really, really assess? Um, this is what we see. I mean, there is this big data. Yeah, you get a lot of data. And then what do you do with this data? I mean, we in our, with our teams, we also ask, yeah, okay, there is so much data coming uh, from the machine. But, but here we see, I mean, from our perspective, since we are focusing on the cutting tools, we are focusing on the fixtures, we are focusing on the measuring instruments, we are measuring, focusing on, yeah, on the, on the NC program, for example. I mean, we, we have a, an entire process in place and where we can then with a dashboard inform the manufacturer, uh, manufacturing manager accordingly. And, and he is not overwhelmed with the data. So we are basically structuring the data that it really makes sense so that he has a really good information about what is, what is really going on. Um, on, on the shop floor, really data where he has a benefit of saving money afterwards. And, uh, and not just throwing uh, the, the, the big data uh, to him and then tell him, yeah, he'll do whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> so our data makes sense, I would say. <laughs> Alexander, I know that manufacturing engineers frequently roughly fall into two types. Uh, one type wants to analyze data in a sophisticated way and they want to see trend lines. They want to predict the future by watching trends often graphically. Another type wants a red light and a green light. And they essentially want to simply want to know when the machine stops and what to do immediately, but not think about the processes that reach up to that point. Is that a natural split? Will we see a, a future where the machines are so smart that no one even knows how the predictive capabilities work? The machine just stops or it says you have 22 minutes and you must change the tool. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the, the name of the game is that the machine, the machine will tell you what tools you need. And then with an automatic system, the tools will be brought uh, from the tool room to the machine. The tools will be exchanged automatically. And, uh, and then the machine will continue to run. And then in the background, the software will look at the inventory, what is available, and then will procure the tools accordingly. And this is, for example, a setup. Um, what we are showing uh, at our facility, at our smart uh, manufacturing facility in Germany, this is an entire process, an entire loop, where basically the machine takes over of of the of the process, and. Um, But certainly, I mean, getting there, there is a lot of work. I mean, sure, the, the red and the green light is, is, is necessary. But in between, you have to get to that point where you can really rely on the red and green light. And here, there is a lot of optimization necessary until you get there. So there is data that needs to be evaluated because you have tools, they are performing Yeah, they are performing good. You have other tools that are performing not so good. And then you have really tools that are performing good and you can even increase the tool life of those tools. So those are processes you have to look at and you have to optimize. And then, and then really the manufacturing, yes, is absolutely lights out and it's, it's, it's automatically done. And this is, 
this is exactly what, what is needed uh, today in this environment in order to be competitive. Senator, in small, smaller to medium-sized operations, I frequently see um, um, owner managers where they fall in love with a multi-axis machine and they spend all the budget on the machine. And then often there is not much budget left for the, the things that are necessary to support the machine. Automation, presetting, inventory control, those sorts of things. Is there a risk? Is there a risk when uh, uh, a machine tool manufacturer manages to sell a very sophisticated machine to a customer and they don't consider the other factors? Absolutely. I mean, a machine tool, you can purchase a machine tool with a uh, yeah, high dollar amount. You can build a facility sometimes. I mean, as, as expensive those machine tools are. But you have to consider what, what, what everything around the machine. I mean, you have to consider, okay, you have to... In, I always say it's an airplane. Yeah, it needs to be up in the air. It's need, it needs to manufacture them. The spindle needs to run. And in order to have really the, the spindle run, there is so much to it around the machine tool, around the organization, the logistics. Um, all that need to be considered. And then you can really run your machine uh, very effectively. And it's, it's, it's not... It's not uh, a good investment if your other machines are running maybe 60% um, and the other 40% they are sitting idle and then investing in a, in a new machine tool. The investment need to be and the goal need to be that the machines, what you already have on hand, that they are running, that they are producing parts, that they are producing more parts in a short amount of time with a higher quality. This is the focus and this is where the money need to be spent in order to optimize the processes. This is, uh, in, in our opinion, the, the the name of the the name of the game yes and the money for the investment needs to be certainly there but it's justified easily i mean companies are yeah surprised how easily it can be justified if the process is in place if the tools are yeah measured outside if if you don't have to touch off if your machine is really running then they are surprised how how quick how quick the roi is done I have noticed that it's uh, with with modern CAD CAM software, it's very easy to simulate uh, tool paths. It's easy to simulate the the, the cutting tool, you know, uh, working through the part. Many firms do this extensively, but I don't see them extensively often simulating machine loading or unloading, presetting the other supporting factors at this point. Is there a lag in simulation capability or knowledge between simulating the whole production system and just simulating the tool paths? Yeah, there is really uh, there is the there is the theory and there is the reality, and they sometimes collide. Um, they collide in a way that, in theory, everything looks quite good. Uh, you you simulate, you have your tools, you simulate your tool paths, everything is a go, and you send it down to production. But now, what is not considered is now you are preparing the tools in the tool room. Now we are. Yeah, the tool holder or the tool that was used in theory is in reality not available. And now, but they look very similar. So they look very similar. So they are now used and now the machine crash will happen and the spindle is damaged. So this is where we see uh, quite a lot uh, where, the, where the theory and the reality is colliding. But here there are also systems available from us where we can scan the entire tool contour, including the holder, and we can then make a comparison with uh, what was uh, uh, simulated and what is the reality now on the shop floor. And and then we have the red and the green light. And then we can say, yes, if you don't have exactly this component, maybe something different will also work for your process and you can avoid the machine crash. And this is absolutely uh, what we what we see today. It's, it's not done if in theory everything looks good. You have to consider the reality on the shop floor. <laughs> Alexander, when, when, when planning a job, uh, a machine job, the ability of that big cassette to have multiple tools. 
I, I've noticed that there's a tendency sometimes to change tools frequently a lot. And some older experienced machinists I see, I try as, as, to do as much as possible with as few tools as possible to reduce those changeovers. Is there any rule of thumb or way to know basically which is the best strategy? Should I use eight or 10 tools to, 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 to machine that part? Or should I eliminate the tool change time and basically try and do what I can say at the roughing phase before I jump to, 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 to finishing tools, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Both, both things are important. I mean, you have to look at the, at the process, you have to look at the tools, you have to reduce the number of setups. That's uh, absolutely clear. But a setup independently, if, uh, if a tool preset or its offline measurement was done, then the setup is, is, a, is not an issue and it's not a, it's not a, 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 timing, a timing issue because it goes so quick. Yeah. But those uh, things uh, play a big role uh, to consider. Yeah. And then especially about the tools, yeah, how, how is a tool performing? You have to collect this data and this is uh, something what we can provide to the manufacturing manager to see um, how the tool performance is going and, and yeah, a lot of, and then also to, to find out or to, to, to collect the reason why a tool was changed. Why was a tool changed? Did it break? Did an operator, yeah, like what you said, yeah, just by his experience says, yeah, now, I mean, now it's a good time to change the tool or what was the reason for the tool change? Was the tool life at the end? And this is data that we can collect and based off that, you can optimize your process. This will help you. This will give you a good tool to optimize your process. Alexander, in the past with machine tools, uh, it was possible to have a powerful tool with a slow spindle or a very fast spindle, but not so much power. Today, it's possible to have high power and also very, very fast spindle speeds at the same time. This has implications for balance, implications for presetting too? Absolutely. I mean, presetting, uh, measuring, inspection, uh, tool life, uh, this, is, this, is, this all goes to it. And this is uh, today very important to consider, especially if you look at the, at the cutting tool cost, if you look at the cost of the entire component. So those are, those are things what you, what you definitely have to keep into consideration. Yes. It's uh, surface finish. Increasingly now I see an increasing pressure on, on production operations to achieve a very fine surface finish in the machine tool to eliminate secondary opera or, or post-processing operations. Historically, that means a lot of speed, a very light cut, and, and sort of specialty tools at this point. Any implications for presetting? I mean, it depends also on the tool holder system that is used. So with our machines, we have different uh, functionalities or applications uh, for those tool holders with uh, different, uh, yeah, uh, uh, different, different performance, heat shrink holders or hydraulic holders uh, that need to be considered in that regard, regarding if you look at the, at the finish uh, process, all this um, has to be considered, run out, uh, concentricity. Those are all items that we can, yeah, that we can measure, that we can uh, look at. So in order to, to uh, get a better part out of it uh, in the end, and especially you have a higher consistency. If a tool is uh, with the right holder and the right cutting tool is always measured offline, you have a better consistency in your part. And with that, you have a better surface finish in the end, instead of just uh, yeah, touching off uh, because if, yeah, if you leave this up to the operator or to the machine tool, then uh, the surface finish will be will be different. Will be certainly not so good. And those are additional benefits uh, for uh, offline tool presetting. Now, Alexander, you're responsible for your your company's uh, expansion in, in technology into the United States in your Ann Arbor, Michigan research facility or your tech center. At the same time, do you notice a difference between the way American manufacturers approach machining and the way European manufacturers approach machining? 
There is uh, certainly a difference. I mean, there is uh, certainly a difference. But in the end of the day, today, what I'm seeing, and also in the situation where we are uh, today with COVID, everything needs to be automated. And, and it's it's regardless in what country you are. It's really the focus on the machine tool. It's it's focusing around the machine tool. What can I do in order to have my machine produce parts? And I would not say it has something to do with North America or with Europe. I would not consider that. I I rather see companies today. I mean, we have a we have a huge challenge with COVID-19 uh, to deal with, um, with all those yeah those issues we have on hand today. And the name of the game today, it's at least my strong belief, is, is automation. You have to automate everything in order to be competitive. You have to automate for certain reasons, because if you are in a lockdown, you cannot send people to your manufacturing. Um, and, and you still want to produce parts. You don't want to fall behind. And it's... And, and it's it's more important than ever before yeah, that COVID is driving us in order to automate. This is my strong belief. And this is really, yeah, I mean, there are certainly between, if you say, North America and, and, and Europe, sure, there are details. But today, I, I would say now after COVID, I think everybody <laughs> looks, looks, looks in the same direction. Alexander, I'm hearing that manufacturers in North America are, are using COVID as the final argument to automate, even perhaps faster than they normally would. But there's another factor uh, in North America, and that's uh, skilled labor. There's a tremendous shortage of, of very good technical people that can handle machining operations. How is the situation in Europe? Uh, are you coping with this problem in Europe? Same, absolutely same. People are retiring. People with a lot of knowledge are retiring, and then the young people are uh, following, and there, there is a shortage, there is a gap. And, and also, yes, I mean, you can call it COVID or shortage of labor. Um, the challenge is there. And the more you can automate, the, the, the better chance you have to overcome to overcome this problem. And this is why it's so important. Things what we talked earlier about, it, standardization, having a unique database. Not yeah, if, you, if you do a change on a, on a program or if you do a change on a tool, you want to do this change only one time. You want to not change something multiple times yeah um having having double data entry etc those are the things yeah that, that that there's no labor for it to do it you have to do it one time correct and then your process uh will will run smoothly this is really the name of the game and and then uh, having that into play, then then the labor the, or the people what you have on board, if you automate, they can do other things. So they can do other things around it. It's not that we have to get rid of uh, uh, people. It's it's just that they can do even more if some things are automated. Some things you can fully automate. Some things you can partially automate. Yeah, to just support uh, uh, workers and to support the shortage of labor. So it's really interesting. I mean, manufacturing, in my opinion, today is uh, was never as interesting as it is today with with all the challenges we have on hand and on also the technology that is available. Um, yeah, and to get to get get a use out of it. Alexander, one final question. Uh, you're excellently placed to look at the future of manufacturing. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, will manufacturing become so automated that there are no more manufacturing engineers? Will it reach a world design engineer pushes a button and then everything happens by itself? Yes, but for that, you need a lot of engineers <laughs> for this, <laughs> for the development. I mean, until it gets there, I mean, sure, we, we also look uh, quite far, but I mean, today there is a lot of uh, going on, but, but, but certainly this is where, I mean, we do a lot of research and development, and this is really where we are moving towards. We are really moving to this one simple button where you hit the button and then everything goes automatically. But there is certainly, yeah, there are certainly challenges on the way, but this is, yes, but I can, I can tell you, yes, this is, this is 
is the direction where it's moving uh, today. So that that individual processes are really, really auto automated, and um, yeah, it's. I'm looking forward uh, because of also the development what takes place. It's really interesting, yeah, to see uh, to see today and and then what will what will happen in the in the future. Alexander Zoller, president of Zoller Inc. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Jim, for this interview. Thank you. Hey, and thank you everyone for joining us on Manufacturing the Future.